Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, welcome to the Uncapped Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today, um, I mean, this is a pretty... Uh, probably a selfish podcast, although I believe a lot of you are also into glassware, maybe not to the amount of my obsession, borderline fetish, maybe. Um, so I'm ha- I'm so pleased to be joined by one of the best in the business, Ryan Hoffman, I would say probably mostly known as Huffy Glass and Volta Glass Studio. Um makes does a lot of work with 450 north that's where a lot of you listening probably has seen his amazing work uh thank you for joining me ryan thanks for having me and also i'm joined by logan benson who can help feed all of your glassware needs with his (laughs) business thick boys glass which as we all know i mean that's what you need to pour into these glasses so thanks (laughs) Thanks for joining me logan Yeah, thanks, man. Pleasure's all mine. And also a huge thank you to um, Ryan for sending me some Huffy Nuggets because there we go. Because this beer (laughs) is absolutely delicious and it is just as dank as I would have expected it to be. (laughs) So I, I was hoping to take the pretty photo soon enough before starting so that I could like put it up on the screen, but I was running late. I was on my very boring conference call leading up to this. <laughs> so thankfully I had this as a really good excuse to bail out of that call. <laughs> but it is absolutely delicious. <clears throat> so we're going to get started first talking about Thick Boys uh, so that Logan can go get some rest. He had a late night, um, unfortunately doing nothing fun. Uh, <laughs> so Logan, why don't you tell us exactly what is Thick Boys Glass? So, um, Thick Boys started out during the pandemic, uh, with my ex-business partner and I, um, we kind of noticed that there was a lack of central location to purchase heady glass from people. And it was more of a, you needed to follow certain glass blowers or you needed to know certain people. It was pretty much like who you knew rather than just being able to easily purchase it. And, uh, kind of had the idea to say you know why don't we reach out to these people and try to make like a an online collective or like a distribution hub if you will kind of a co-op not quite a co-op but uh (laughs) yeah i think all your adjectives were better sorry (laughs) (laughs) yeah we, we just wanted to make you know like get a bunch of dudes who are doing the same thing who bring different elements to the table And some of which are lesser known and some of which have huge reps in their own right. And just kind of bring everyone together and say, Hey, if if you want any glass from any of these eight to 10 dudes, we've got you covered. You know, we work directly with the artists. They have full creative freedom. They set prices. And I'm just kind of here to, to help them move more cups and to help make it more available for people. It, uh, it, I, you know, I think it's it's such a cool art form, and I think I love the resurgence and how cups have become so popular in the scene. And I think that, like, that's in my <laughs> mind at least, even though it is functional, 
it it has to be looked at as art and cuz it's oh, yeah. there's no reason to um spend the money especially that a lot of these command um on something just to drink out of cuz it, oh, it yeah. like yeah like some of the designs they enhance the flavors although a lot of them that not only are they not enhancing flavors there are some designs i've seen that are going to be downright um hard to drink out of so <laughs> and, so if you're looking at it it is any other way than like this is a piece of art it's kind of i, I feel like lost yeah I, I think it's cool because you know you get the functionality like you're saying but then at the same time you know, I've seen several people that, you know, we've sold to or whatever that have crazy collections and display cases and stuff where it's, you know, it's literally like sculptures almost. It's not just a cup. Like, something like, <laughs> and, something uh, like that? <laughs> yeah, a little, little bit like that. <laughs> and I mean, you know, even just speaking on Ryan, it's like every time I go to his studio, it's just like a, it's like a museum of awesome cups just hanging out just because i mean talk about a, a master artist it's like the dude creates more shapes for cups and not you, you can even dream of and you just walk through and it's like oh that's insane you know <laughs> yeah i, um, I think <laughs> we my family thankfully has really good friends and i have a cousin that live in indiana um so the next time we go to visit them i'm definitely making sure to take a detour even though they're nowhere near you um <laughs> i'm gonna take a detour down to there to they unfortunately are on the way far north side of Indiana, but yeah. <laughs> if, if I'm going to drive that far, I have to visit. <laughs> yeah, it's only a few hours, I think, from probably up in the most northern areas, you know, so yeah. not too far at all. Uh, I can never, Marion, they're in Marion. Okay, yeah, yep. We're probably two and a half hours, maybe a, give or take a little bit from there. Yeah, so not worth it. Yeah. Say that again. It's very worth it to cruise down there. Ryan's awesome dude in the studios. You know, it's a lot of fun to get a behind the scenes look of seeing the madness that he creates. So now the way you operate, you have a web store where people can just go right on and order stuff, which is very convenient because most of the time that's not how you purchase this type of glassware. Um, but then you yeah, also... That... <laughs> Like, I'm sorry, go ahead. But then you also offer, if you're following the Thick Boys Instagram accounts, um, can you, I, I don't remember what the newest one is. What's, it's uh, Thick Boys Glass. Well, no, no, the one where you're running all the raffles on. Oh, yeah, oh, Thick Wafts. Yeah, so you follow those two <laughs> Instagram accounts and you have constant raffles where people who don't want to spend that large investment into it can has a, have a chance to win for a much lower price. Yeah. When we started, that was one of the things that we wanted to kind of touch on is that a lot of at the beginning, when we first started, a lot of it was dib style or auctions or, or whatever. And, you know, a lot of the time then you're, you have to be right on time to be able to dib something or the auction might go higher than your comfortable spending because of people outbidding. So we wanted to make sure to do a web store uh, option. And then just recently over the last couple of months, we've tried to start upping the raffle situation because we've noticed, you know, a lot of people love that opportunity to be able to basically get one of these glasses for the cost of shipping. People like to gamble. 
<laughs> it, it feeds into uh two things getting artwork oh, yeah. and gambling <laughs> <laughs> and it's awesome you know it, it's a good feeling because the people are so stoked when when someone wins a 160 dollar glass for yeah 16 you know it's like the, the amount of joy that you're able to bring these people it's 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 just an awesome feeling all around you know and i know my artists I work with are super stoked on what we're doing and, you know, we're always looking to work with different people and, you know, luckily been fortunate enough to work with Ryan in the past and have a few other projects hopefully come in later on. Well, you have one project coming up that I want to talk about because uh, uh -oh. it hits close. <laughs> well, I just want, I want to give it a little bit of promotion. Um, sure, yeah, let's do it. So in two weeks, uh, four score, one of my favorite local breweries has um, a glass that you worked with. It was with Venture, right? Correct. Yep. Coming out for uh, their next Jamba release, <clears throat> which I saw pictures of the glasses and they look pretty awesome. Super stoked with them. Yeah. I um I had no idea that you could get that level of detail with sandblasting a logo on them like i've seen some of the pictures of ryan's glass where in those were a higher level that i thought you could achieve but then like the uh four score logo on those glasses yeah. i had no idea you could do like almost shading work to be honest when i first saw the finished product too i was kind of taken away by it i was like wait what and <laughs> the dude that i the dude i primarily use uh blasting out your glass down in kentucky he uh he just got a new program or a new software. He was telling me like you could basically get almost photo realism. Wow. And I, I mean, I was like, Oh cool. Okay. You know? And then he showed me and I was like, Oh, you were not exaggerating. <laughs> yeah. I, I saw that <laughs> and I'm like, I never would have thought that that was possible. And then yeah, Ryan, I, I, um, as a heads up, that is a process that we're I'm going to ask you to go in a little more detail on. Definitely. So stay tuned for that answer. <laughs> <laughs> Prepare myself. <laughs> um, but so that's a cool project because one, the glass is awesome looking. Uh, and two, Jambas are absolutely delicious beers. Oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of Four Score. Those, those guys are awesome and love their beer and was super stoked to be able to work with them and bring this project to fruition. Um. So how, how did you, like you said, why you wanted to do it? Like, how did you end up even getting into this? Were you just like a fan of the glassware to begin with or? Yeah. Um, you know, always been a fan of, of glass as a whole. Um, I used to go to a lot of music festivals and stuff. So I've been around a lot of glass blowing and pipes and pendants and marbles and stuff like that. And, you know, just realized that there was a market for these hand blown cups that were coming it was really starting to gain some steam and, you know, seeing people like Ryan and like Rad Glass and like a couple of the bigger names just kind of inspired me to be like, you know, I can't blow glass, but I'm good at networking and I, I'm pretty decent at business. So I think there's an opportunity here to make the whole buying process a little easier for everyone. So I've, and, um, uh, I've binge watched both uh, Blown Away and forged in fire so in my mind i could easily blow glass and um and make Most swords 
<laughs> They're making glass swords. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, I, I do know that that is a completely different style of glass blowing. Now I know that. I did not know that last last year. <laughs> Most people don't. So you at least don't have to explain that to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, most people don't. You know, they just think blown glass and it's all the same kind of thing. That's a general consensus almost. (laughs) I I learned when I, because I I think I I just mentioned blown away. And they were like, no, it's not. It's nothing like that. (laughs) It's just, yeah, it's clear material that we're working with, but that's about where it ends. Yeah, I think a prestigious glass. I think those guys are uh, furnace workers or soft glass workers. So yes. the same, they're they're doing a similar, the same process essentially as what you see what you see on Blown Away or on that TV series in particular. Have you, you know, did you watch different. that? Yeah, yeah, I've watched a little bit of it. Did you it's enjoy funny. it at all, or being in that <laughs> industry where you're like, oh, this is stupid? I mean, it's kind of it's funny because of the way it's kind of played up, you know, by all means. So that that sense, but it's cool because it educates people and let's at least shows people, you know, some process. And I think that's yeah. an important part of all of it. You know, I mean, they were trying to do a a, a documentary on flame working three or four years ago, and it I don't know they were doing video of a bunch of different people. We were working at some of the trade shows, and they were doing video cuts and things like that. But it just never came to fruition. I don't know exactly how it you know kind of came apart in the end, but it was unfortunate they couldn't actually pull it together so people could kind of see the difference between the two things. You know, ultimately, I feel like they should switch blown away to a whole season of just heady glassware. I would definitely watch that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I mean, why not? And I think it's just as, you know, it's just as interesting because there's just as many techniques and, you know, applications, things like that, that we use that a furnace worker uses. And they really run, you know, kind of in conjunction with one another. I mean, mm-hmm. furnace workers, furnace working in general is far longer tradition of art than flame working just because it was more industrial and beads and jewelry, small scale things, you know, and now that people are starting to make, you know, larger vessels and larger pipes and all that, you know, I mean, it's been quite a while since it started, but far after they were doing it with the soft glass or the furnace glass. Sorry, I was making a note because I have a question for you to ask later. I want to make sure I didn't forget it. <laughs> are you drinking Huffy Nuggets? Yeah, I am. I drink it's, nuggets all the time. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's such a it's such a great beer. It's really good. It's really good. I mean, that's the bonus yeah, to me. I was like, I knew it. You know, of course. Like I say, I've been a nugget hound for years, and so I'm I'm pretty much all about the style of IPA that they create. You yeah. know, that's one of my favorite things. And I think that's why they ultimately gave me the beer <laughs> yeah. just because I'm probably one of the bigger advocates for the, the nugget, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, just, it's been a thing. I'm like a person that'll bypass a slushy and drink an IPA. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of people are like that. There's, there's, um, there's definitely a market for both of them. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there, mm-hmm. de- yeah, there definitely is. It's incredible. I mean, to see, the emergence of it and then how it's gone you know just grown and grown and grown like expanded you know across whatever boundaries and whatnot you know into a actual thing you know with the, with the fruit beers so logan i'm assuming i'm just gonna go way out on a limb that yep. the names thick boys glass came from 
because uh, the vast majority of the photos you see online of heady glassware, it's filled with heavily fruited sours. <laughs> or thick boys. Is my assumption my, uh, accurate? Yeah, I'd say the combination. Um, it's about half because of the thick fruited sours, uh, as well as just the the general thickness of the glass you know we wanted to okay kind of just be on the nose with it and be like we're not selling paper thin you know chinese mass-produced glass it's hand blown in america it's all thick heavy duty and then also you know i'm, I'm also a stocky guy so it's kind of a three way <laughs> there <laughs> so it just has meanings from every direction oh yeah it's just <laughs> a very very intricate name so and one thing I kind of wanted to touch on, I thought, is you know, a lot of people think that these heady glasses are strictly for drinking like fruited sour beers, and I mean, I don't know if Brian has an opinion on that. I feel like you can drink whatever you want out of any of these glasses, and I think it's kind of a common misconception people have. Well, I mean, I am right yeah, now enjoying an absolutely delicious uh, hazy IPA out of one. <laughs> Yeah, it's funny, man. I've had people message me, oh, I'm looking more for an IPA glass. And I was like, you can drink whatever yeah. beer you want out of these glasses, man. It's not, <laughs> it's not inclusive to a certain style. Well, I mean, I guess if, if it's someone who's looking for, like, a glass profile that's going to more, more enhance. So, like, what uh, Ryan is drinking out of right now, that's going to in, oh, sorry, enhance the flavors and aromas of an IPA sure. more than – I mean, this – still kind of would but definitely what the the style ryan's drinking out of is going to uh be more enhancing for an ipa's aroma and flavors some for either sure. the either that's either they're completely misguided or it's someone who's really <laughs> <laughs> really well versed and is looking for that probably the first <laughs> yeah yeah it's really it's crazy because with all the you know i mean you do think about function of the glass whenever you're making it and the idea of what's going to be used for ultimately at least hopefully that's in mind you know whenever you're creating it you know so you can there is a bit of function essentially to incorporate into a cup which you yeah. know, isn't really the first and foremost thought that comes to mind for most people whenever they look at a cup it's simply a cup you know i um i feel like there are some glass makers i've seen though that do not take function into <laughs> into account at all like i look at them yeah. and like i don't even i'm not even positive i could pour into that glass without getting beer all over the place <laughs> well a lot of the shapely things are really nice but again when you think about it when you tip that beer back and then you tip it back down if there's a bulbous bottom or a you know essentially a taper in yeah, that glass you, that huge glob yeah it's gonna yell back in your face you know like i've made cups they you know doing prototyping and things like that you know and it's literally it'll glug and spit in your eye you know it's yeah. like scrap it you can't use that you know i mean it's it's there are things like that to actually account for you know whenever you're making or you know coming up with a profile or a design for something you know again because it's like the most basic function of something can backfire you know if yeah. it's simply just with a form or a shape or a taper or anything like that you know and sometimes it's not considered it's more about you know looking at it as art but yes it's going to be used so it's a you know you're kind of trying to find a balance between the two ultimately so i um one of the things that we had talked about logan 
was um, it was what I often describe to people is the Venn diagram of uh, heady glassware, fruited sours, and people who enjoy uh, pot. And now, wait, yep. quick side note. Have you watched any of the promo videos for Purple Urkel? Or no. the oh you have to look it up so <laughs> the guy who played steve urkel came out with his yeah. own cannabis line called purple oh urkel God. and they have a bunch of promo videos and one of them is with snoop dogg and it's absolutely hilarious <laughs> <laughs> so so i always describe it as like you know there's just three groups and then they all meet right in the middle and um, oh, yeah. what what do you what do you think the reasoning for that is man i i wish i knew i mean i think maybe it's just uh i, I mean i know you hear a lot of the, the people who are drinking the fruited beers referring to it as having turfs and i guess that kind of overlaps into the whole terpenes and the weed yeah you know end of things and i mean I'm, i love it i think it's great i i personally don't really partake much i'll take edibles every once in a while but i'm not much of a smoker um but I mean, I, I think it's cool that, that it overlaps so much and it's bringing some of that heady influence into the, you know, in the glass world, into the beer side. And you're starting to see some of these like crazy bong and pipe makers, even like Ryan, implementing different techniques that you'd normally see in a pipe or a bong or whatever into a beer glass. And I think that's one thing that we're trying to do slowly this year. That's one of the goals is to try to advertise and put more just more glassware in front of you know people who primarily smoke and just try to help build on that overlap my working theory was that um fruited sours are not beer um they're good i don't i i enjoy them i don't fault anyone for not enjoying them but they don't taste like beer um so whether you like beer or not, there's a good chance you still might enjoy a fruited sour. Yeah, it's um, almost like a smoothie at that point. Yeah, it, and it's, it's dessert. Just, and it's yeah. a good cure. Like, if you have the munchies, like you're, <laughs> it's a good chance you're going to enjoy that. And if you're oh, someone yeah. that has already spent a bunch of money on glassware for recirculators and yeah, uh, yeah. pipes and stuff and in your favorite glass your pa- favorite pipe maker is now making beautiful glassware why not drink your tr- your liquid dessert out of that <laughs> <laughs> and that's my working theory at least that's my thesis i think you hit the nail on that <laughs> <laughs> i mean drinking juice essentially yeah it fits <laughs> and so oh, yeah. the latest jamba releases are so thick especially the ones that they do with imprint that they make the glass look filthy because <laughs> the co2 ra- goes up rises so slowly it makes it look like bubbles stuck to the side of the glass <laughs> and it's just it's it's a fruit puree <laughs> I mean, it's good, <laughs> but oh yeah, they're delicious. <laughs> but it is a far cry from beer a lot of these times. Yeah, well, it's beer in air quotes. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's cool. There's some breweries that are able to do these crazy thick, you know, basically pours out like a sludgy smoothie, but it's like still eight percent 
somehow, yeah. you know, where well, you're yeah, like, so you're they must have started at like fifteen percent. Like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love like that. All right, so we're coming up. I need to take a sponsor break. Uh, before you cut out, Logan, let yep. people know where to find you, where to get your glassware, and if you have anything coming up that you're excited about. Yeah, all right. Uh, so at Thick Boys Glass on Facebook and Instagram, uh, at Thick Boys Glass on TikTok for some behind-the-scenes blowing stuff. And uh, thickboysglass.com is the easiest way to just buy cups outright. And uh, in terms of upcoming events, we're going to be at Irie Jungle on Thursday, down there, tripping animals, uh, vending. We're going to have a bunch of awesome stuff, so anybody coming through, we'll definitely be able to lace you up. <clears throat> and uh, next month, we're doing something with Oozel Finch for their Friends with Benefits Sourfest. We'll be vending there as well. Which I'm hoping so. to be at, but that may be the weekend that the next version of sans jams um a heavily fruited sour that i make with uh full tilt brewing yeah and i I think that may be the weekend it comes out so i i may miss out on the oozle finch party well dude i mean if you end up making it make sure you come say what's up oh i definitely will yeah i'm i i need to they need to lock down when it's going to get released and then if it's not going to be that weekend i'm definitely going to come down because it's not far from me at all hell yeah man Ian, thank you for um, joining me. Um, anyone who's looking for the easiest way possible to purchase this type of glassware, Ryan uh, Logan is who to go to. This website it has stuff in stock, and you can just order it. A lot hey, of boysglass.com. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a real quick uh, sponsor break, and then we come back is when I start grilling Ryan with questions. <laughs> And he's going to be a pleasure. He's going to help me become a master glass blower that blown away makes me think I can be. Well, I need 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we will be right back. Take it easy, Logan. Later on. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts. Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, or one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so I'm thinking, um, why don't we start out with you just giving a high-level overview. What is the difference between the furnace work, like on that show Blown Away, and glass work, like what you do? Okay. 
So what what yeah. and what are are there any similarities? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, I mean, in regards to the difference, I mean, ultimately it's just kind of a you know, initially whenever these types of, you know, things, so furnace working back in traditional times, you know, I mean, hundreds hundreds of years ago, you know, it was more scale and large scale forms, things like that, that were being done, you know, actual usable vessels, like I said, in Italy, it was kind of like, uh, the men were the furnace workers, and the ladies were the the lamp workers, the flame workers who worked on the torch. So there are two different, you know, totally different studios and whatnot. But like I say, it kind of the flame working used to lend itself more to tiny, really highly intricate uh, jewelry, garb, things like that, um, sculptural still, but yet just on a much different scale. Whenever you went to the furnace, it was a, you know, it's easier to gather a large mass of glass out of the furnace than it is to kind of gather it up from the materials that we use. We start out with pieces of lengths of tubing and, you know, sticks of glass, essentially. So, you know, they were literally dipping into a vat and pulling large amounts of glass out of that vat. Then they would shape and form that. And that would essentially be equivalent to us taking a whole piece of tubing and squishing it all together and then starting to work and form it, you know, which in itself just to, to gather that much glass would take you quite a while. So, you know, it really is a, a matter of what used to be kind of scale versus scale in, in many regards. But now it's, you know, with the use of the, the lathes and depending on the size of material you're using, you can get a large, large piece of glass gathered warm and manipulated of borosilicate, the type of glass we use. And, and, and is it is it different um, types of glass always used in the two different styles or is yeah. Okay. yeah I mean you can you can do flame working with the same type of glass that you do furnace working with um, so it's a coefficient of expansion is the biggest variant in the two types of glass there's you know a multitude of types of glass you know there's there's 90 coe 50 coe 30 you know it's all there's a, a number of different types but we primarily work with the glass like in flame working borosilicate being a coe 33 and it's just a it's a boron based glass so it's it's chemically uh, synthesized basically whenever they initially made it it was synthesized in order to be more malleable flexible um, it can take changes in temperatures, things like that, you know, abrupt changes in temperature, and it won't crack and fall apart like a lot of, you know, furnace glass can. Um, it's a lead base, so it's a bit more brittle in its makeup, and it can't quite take the fluctuation of temperatures, even environmental sometimes, you know, just from a dishwasher, you can crack a piece of soft glass pretty okay. easily. So, you know, uh, the borosilicate is chemically formulated to withstand two to 300 degrees, 250 degrees approximately of a temperature change without creating what they call stress, you know, and that stress then leads to the glass itself breaking. It's the molecules in the glass actually moving around and concentrating in places. So it makes it, it can become brittle over time or whatnot. So you mentioned tubes and rods would, what you start with depend on what you're making like it, yeah, I would assume tubes are what you're going to start with to make um, glassware or mm -hmm. what, yep. would you use tubes for anything else or just mainly glassware? 
well, you use it for a bunch of different okay. things, but um, the rods come into play and, you know, depending on what you're doing, if you're doing handwork or the work on a, on a lathe, the rods are a lot of the times a punty. That's used for holding the glass on one end. You're kind of holding it on a handle in one hand and then you're holding it on a punty, a solid rod in the other. So to create balance, so you can actually okay. turn things equally. But you do essentially the same thing in a lathe. One chuck will hold the tubing and another chuck will hold the punty, which then will, you know, be holding the piece that you're working in the middle of it, essentially. But and then you also have color, you know, I mean, whenever you start to apply color to things, color comes in the form of rod and tubing as well. Now, anyway, it used to be primarily just rod. So you would have to either take those rods and basically you'd be coating a piece of tubing you would just wipe it down with that rod over and over until it was, you know, totally filled. And then you'd melt it down and then you'd have colored tubing. So you're basically making colored tubing from colored rods. Okay. You know, it's a, it's a crazy kind of a process, you know what I mean? But it, it, whenever you actually see it, it, it makes much more sense and, you know, like in how it's done. So is, is that how you accomplish the Rasta glasses from the the latest 450 north release yeah yeah they were green yellow and red rods yeah. and then i actually put clear rods in between them to separate them so that's what gave the clear space so you could still see the color of the beer through the glass that was kind of the goal you know without making it just solid red yeah. yellow green so i did clear rods in between them to separate the pattern so you could still see through you know there was some transparency through the glass so you could still see the color of your beer so do you do that to the tube before you start shaping it into the glass or is yeah okay yep, exactly you'll you just kind of you coat it down and then you can twist it up like those cups in particular were what it's it's called a reversal it's a big a big spiral essentially you know, to just a mass spiral that you kind of gather up and then form into a cylinder, you know, to make your cup. Was there then like a layer of clear glass on top of them too? Cause yeah. It, okay. Cause it looked like looking at it, it just looked so complex in my mind. I could not figure out how you could possibly do that. <laughs> yeah. Those, those things were like, a, essentially it's like a sandwich. So it was clear tubing on the inside and then a layer of rods and then a clear tubing on the outside. Okay. Big, sandwich of glass and then you melt that all down together to get the air you know get the excess air out of it and then you can start to manipulate it pattern it you know just uh twist it up things like that so you can mess with the color pattern i'm gonna get on a limb that that takes a lot of skill and experience to be able to pull that off i think i mean those were some of the bigger reversals that i've ever made and i have i mean have ever seen you know ultimately like i've done a few prior to those just kind of and that's what led to those, you know, it yeah. was just kind of like, well, naturally, it's a new thing that I've been messing with. So, you know, and to do reversals in the pipe world, you know, you they're not very big, you know, typically, you know, you have multiples that are typically stacked, you know, like little sections that are stacked or melted together, you know, to, in order to create that. And I was just trying to go as big as I could to make a one piece, big fat reversal spiral, you know, and turn that into a cup. So you've been doing this for quite some time, right? How how long yeah. have you been a glass blower? Uh, about twenty four years now. I started in the nineties. Um, worked as an apprentice for a little bit in the studio, and then uh, 
went to North Carolina to an art school, Penland. It's a, it's out in Asheville area, kind of up in the mountains, you know, but I went there three years in a row, just working under different, you know, just OGs, people who had been, you know, doing flame working for, you know, 30, 40 years, things like that, just to really try and learn the ins and outs of, you know, working glass and how to make it nice. How, how did you find yourself getting into that? Like picking that is what you wanted to do professionally? Uh, I mean, that I don't, I mean, getting into it, I was, you know, 19 years old whenever I got into it, you know, I was, I was a hippie kid, you know, I mean, I was running around (laughs) to concerts and stuff like that. And that was really like, Oh, this stuff's cool. But then I was like, Oh, well, I could also be, you know, making a living doing this or making some money while I'm doing it. Because also I was doing was traveling around the country basically and seeing music. And, you know, that was the big, thing so it was like it was an actual viable thing that i could do and take with me you know on the road and make money while doing it so that was a big part of it (laughs) um when how long have you been doing the the glassware um so i started um i I mean i've been trying to do you know venetian style stuff just because that's like traditionally associated with what we do for the majority, you know, I made my first goblet within, you know, a year of being on the torch. So, you know, but whenever it came to the beer stuff, barware, things like that, it was like 2017, I kind of started a side gig, borrow barware. And mm-hmm. that was a lot of decanters, a lot of bottles, uh, tumblers, liquor glasses, some beer glasses, things like that back then. <clears throat> and then it just uh, kind of evolved as you know, seeing the craft beer industry just explode, you know, that was, that was just kind of the catalyst for pushing into it essentially to try and do something. And I didn't think it would really turn into anything. It was just kind of what I was doing on the side, you know, I was yeah. still making pipe work and all that. And I would, at the end of the day, I'd make a cup, you know, or a, a bottle or whatever, you know, it just kind of evolved. Is that, um, is pipe work, is that how you, gained your notoriety how you became most well known for yeah because i was i mean that's what i did for the longest period of time and i was traveling doing trade shows for almost 10 years you know i would do the trade the the champs trade shows and the american glass expo and anything else you know that was kind of available you know open to people doing that type of thing so it was really to try and get the work out on a national level, you know, I mean, that was the goal because being in Indiana, you know, there's, there's not much of a scene when it comes to the whole pipe <laughs> thing, you know, it's, it's kind of, <laughs> is, uh, you know. is it legalized in Indiana? No, no, not, okay. at all. not at all. It's highly frowned upon still. This is, you know. <laughs> I, I was going to say that. I mean, you're solidly in every belt that doesn't like <laughs> yeah. that would yeah. frown upon it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Fortunately, I'm in Bloomington, and Bloomington is, it's where, you know, the IU campus is here, but it's just been a, it's a really open-minded city, you know, as small as it is, it's extremely culturally, the cultural diversity here and the open-mindedness are something that you would think you'd find in a larger area, but it's very (laughs) self-contained. This town, this city is very much kind of like its own little bubble, and it's very self-sufficient. So up until, um, well, I guess maybe even now is then most of your business like shipping, like internet orders or wholesaling to head shops or how, cause there's I, prob- I, prefer, 
I, I do a lot more wholesaling to other stores and okay. work with other other you know entities because it's I've got my own store as well. But you know, it's I, I ship a lot of work to bigger cities, you know, Philadelphia, New York, wherever, you know, Miami, just out in California, a number of different cities, and it, it's just because the markets there are so much bigger, you know. And yeah. That's it's really far more. But now, I mean, I've kind of over the last few years kind of shrunk the scale of the business just for my own sanity because I was, you know, I mean, managing. Mm-hmm half a dozen people at a time and then trying to do my own work and run a store everything else for you know that's just not really kind of it's not my thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i, I want to make stuff i don't want to you know manage other people yeah. make things so ultimately, well that's what that's the downside of when you become really good at something people for some reason want you to stop doing that and then just manage other people doing it <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. i know and it takes a lot of the joy away from it because it's like you know i never would have in my life signed up to be a glass blower if it was like glass blower slash manager you know yeah. that's not that would have never even you know never happened in the first place if that would have been the case it just it's to me at the time it seemed like the natural ever evolution of things so I started taking on apprentices and training people and all that. And I was like, well, then we've got five people standing here making, making glass. We should sell it, you know, yeah. I mean, of course, and we should, you know, push for that. So kind of went that direction for a, a, a number of years. And then, you know, the, it just, it all became a little bit more than I really cared to, you know, that really try to continue and facilitate. So it's still big enough, you know, in the sense I, I produce a decent amount of work on my own, you know, but it's not on that nearly the scale that it was even, you know, two years ago. But not because demand has diminished because. No, demand is on the roof. I mean, it's, it's higher than ever before, you know, in, in all regards and, the pipe realm and then you know the glassware realm both but it's you know it's just more about sanity quality of life yeah. sanity yeah i mean that's the biggest thing to me at this point you know yeah. whatever. There's, um, time is the only thing that uh, you can't get more of exactly you know it's like you want to spend every bit of it in a you know positive way or a meaningful way or you know something that's gonna at least help you have a better quality of life yeah. i think that's definitely been the mindset change for me anyway because at first it was just pump as much product as we possibly could it had still had to be of a quality you know yeah. a certain quality level but it's like we went six days a week you know a full crew of people going as hard as we could every day has um the wave of legalizations of across the country made a big difference in pipe sales yeah, definitely. I mean, it, really, it's I mean, because so many new people are actually with legalization have yeah. come into it, you know, I mean, just becoming connoisseurs or whatever they may be or just, you know, dabbling, but it still creates a demand for more, more apparatus, you know, I mean, essentially, do you so, see as like states that are newly legalized in do you see an uptick in sales to those states? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Colorado is probably like the most notable one of all of them because they really, you know, whenever they legalized, we were there six months prior to legalization and we were doing a show and you could just, people were so into the whole notion of things, you know, the laws changing and all that, that it was like they were just preparing for whenever legalization, you know, they were buying up everything they could, you know, essentially and just getting their stores ready for the 
the influx of tourism, the influx of people, you know, looking for glasswork and things like that. It's, that was probably one of the biggest, like, you know, indicators of what the future was going to hold, you know, in the sense, because they were one of the first that really did it and pushed it really hard, you know, and it, it really created a mass movement, you know, it, in terms of, I think, people smoking and in terms of just purchasing glass, looking at glass in a different way. Yeah, I feel like Maryland's probably one to two years away from full legalization. We did mm-hmm. the, the decriminalization step, the medical mm-hmm. uh, allowance yeah. step, and then I imagine we're, we're only a couple years away from full legalization here. Yeah, that's I would think I was in Baltimore in I don't know, it was probably uh, 2016, 17, somewhere right the day before uh, the day before decriminalization, I believe it was or the day before it was some form of legalization that happened and I ended up getting a ticket. <laughs> for herb and i was like really tomorrow it's okay but yet you know it's 8 p.m uh, it's not he was like i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> literally yeah. apologizing me to me for it which was kind of funny in itself you know it was just like uh that's ridiculous yeah. that, that yeah. must have been yeah that had to have been decriminalization <laughs> I, I think it was and i think it was it was like two or th- maybe three to four years ago that sounds that sounds about the right time frame <laughs> okay yeah i mean and i literally hadn't even i just yeah i opened up a opened up a container in my hotel room i didn't even smoke or anything like that and then within minutes someone is knocking at my door <laughs> my goodness <laughs> but, yeah. i was like oh okay what can you do <laughs> that must have been some very strong stuff <laughs> yeah it had a it had a nose on it <laughs> but yeah that was i mean i figure the east coast you know is going to be just the same with new york you know just recently in the last week going you know recreational and legalizing i think that it's a you know it's just a matter of time before it's nationwide ultimately but yeah, Indiana will probably be the last state they'll hold out. You know, we'll be the tourist state where yeah. it's like, come here because nobody's doing this instead yeah. of come here to do this. There are know? no high people here. You're safe. Exactly. We won't dance <laughs> <Yeah>. either. <laughs> I know. There's no movement whatsoever. You'll be fine. <laughs> That's, That's what I'm envisioning. I'm, I'm hopeful that it's not the case, but, you know. Well, it, that's. I find that interesting that, like, that, um, like, you're there. 450 north i mean it's obviously a brewery but it's very heavily um their branding and everything leans heavily towards that world uh there's a lot of stuff in indiana in that world for a place that's so anti i know know. it's crazy it really is you know i mean i think it's you know, it's probably got to do a lot with the forbidden aspect of things, you know, I mean, for people here, yeah, that's, that's what makes it that much more enticing, you know, I mean, that that's all I could really imagine. But it's really strange, you know, because we're surrounded now by states with forms of legalization, if not fully recreational, you know, we're literally right in the middle of all states that have some form of legalization, but yet we have nothing. That's funny. We've gone actually the opposite direction in making things more criminal. Oh, really? Yeah, wow. yeah. The, the, the legislature has gone. There's supposedly legislature on the table um, for some form, medical or or recreational. But if it sees, you know, if it actually makes it into the, you know, 
to the Senate or the Indiana House or anything like that. We'll see. Um, let's take uh, another quick sponsor break. I also wanted to grab another beer because this feels like it's going to be at least a two beer podcast. Um, and then uh, I just have a bunch more questions for you. Uh, so we will be right back. There are many reasons why I've chosen District East for where I purchase beer. I love the flexibility of being able to make a custom six pack or take home a crowler from one of the eight beers on tap. Their friendly and knowledgeable staff do an amazing job at keeping a diverse selection on hand. You can even purchase artwork from the monthly featured artist. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. All right, so I think I, one of my questions is definitely already answered. I didn't know if like there were some of um, the very intricate um 450 north slushy cups that you've done in the past the ones they did the giveaways for Mm -hmm. if those were still the same type of style of making it but it it obviously is yeah yeah it's Um, just a little more embellishing you know how long does it take to make one of those like um i'm sure like there's even there's varying degrees in those ones because some of those Nintendo ones were ridiculous. Um, but even like the um, the snake and the dragon ones were re- super intricate. Like how how many hours are dedicated to making just one of those glasses? I mean, that's you're in like thirty to forty hour man hour range. That's insane. It, it is crazy. I mean, I have a Tyler, my assistant, like between the two of us, you know, he does a lot of cold working and a lot of the carvings and etchings and things like that. So between the two of between design and the actual physical work and making the glass, then the carvings and all the cold work, it really would end up taking us nearly, you know, we'd maybe be able to, between the two of us, get two finished in a week, you know, and that'd be a, a full, you know, six day yeah 10 12 hours a day work week and that'd be it'd be pushing it because we make you know i make all my materials like i make all my colored tubing i make most of that stuff i don't just you know a lot of people just buy it and you know i prefer to make everything that i use in the process just because you know then i know the quality level of it and if it should be used or not essentially 
So you take That's... just chunks of glass and then extrude them out into the or yeah okay yeah you, you would make kind of like i was talking about the sandwich you know you could make like that of of just a solid color and then turn that into a just a big mass of colored tubing and then use that okay. in the body of uh, instead of just going and buying a chunk of colored tubing you know which you can do but i just i prefer to use you know i prefer to use what we make in house and like i say i know all what goes into it because some stuff's not some stuff has inclusions, some, you know, little just flaws naturally in the glass. So it's like I can actually kind of mitigate that by making it all on my own as opposed to just buying what someone else has made and kind of buried or hidden or you know, whatever it may be. So I watched um, a video recently and lathe work was very differently than how I envisioned it in my head. So it seems like there's like a lot of it and it's let me know if I interpreted this correctly that the shaping of the glass depends a lot on like actually manipulating the two sides of the lathe like compressing inwards on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's um because you're, you know, you have that that mass of glass in between the two chucks and whenever you gather glass or want to thicken it you're going to let it come together. You know, you heat it and let it melt and you bring it together and the which will thicken the mass that you're working with. So, and then you can blow it out and stretch it, which will give it nice slopes and even, you know, just kind of tapers, things like that. It, it changes the form and you have a blow hose or a, it's, it's basically a hose that you can, you know, you have in your mouth so you can puff into the piece or even kiss it and suck air out of it to shrink it down or expand it as opposed to blowing in a bigger pipe mm -hmm. or or kissing on a bigger pipe which then in turn would do the same thing it's nice because the lathe you know it holds the glass for you so and turns it consistently for you which a lot of people can't do by hand you know i mean to have especially whenever it comes to having something kind of weighty or large scale that becomes an issue because it's you know some people are right hand dominant, left hand dominant, you know, things like that. And once once you've got something that's molten in between your hands and you're trying to turn them consecutively or in, you know, evenly, that kind of all goes out the window. So it's really nice. It's a huge, you know, that's how you see people are able to blow glass after five years and make really nice forms and really things like that, because it's like something's doing part of the process for you in many yeah. regards, you know which is, you know, I'm, I don't, I was a hand worker for the majority of my career. And I started dabbling on the lathe, you know, a decade ago or a little longer, maybe 15 years, but that was always kind of the backup. I still always made everything by hand. And just now I've definitely pushed myself to get on the lathe, sit with, especially for the, the barware and the cupware and things like that, because it allows me to really make things nice and hefty the tooling and the forming, that's how I can do, you know, just the, as much tooling and forming as possible is by having that lathe kind of, you know, aid the process, essentially. Are you able to use, like, would you, I'm assuming you would not be able to do something like this at all without a lathe? I mean, I'd be able to get a, a semblance of it, but it would be. It and would by be this, tough. I'm showing up. I can't, most people are listening to this. Um, it's a, a glass that he made that has a, a large uh, ball section. 
and then very thin, um, well, actually almost like sharpened bands, a couple of those. And, and like all the lines are very precise and clean. Yeah, it really, I mean, it's having something hold things for you, you know, I mean, it makes, because then you've got two hands to use yeah. as opposed to two hands holding something. And then you're trying to use a tool that's mounted on your table and, sh you know, roll it against there. I mean, it makes it, it makes it far more feasible whenever it comes to doing those specific type of forms. Now the lathes you use, are they specifically made for glass blowing or are yeah. they, okay. Yeah. They're very similar to like a wood or a metal lathe, but they're just constructed a little bit differently so that the glass can actually pass through the head and the tail stock. So then you have access to it so you can plug it and put a blow hose in the other end of it basically. Okay. But it's a, a very similar thing. And it, it's at a very lower RPM than what wood or metal is used at, right? Yeah. That's a, yeah, absolutely. The, like the first time in my head when someone talked about using a lathe, like I pictured metal or wood where like it's spinning really fast. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and in my head I was like, how would that work? And then I saw a video and like it's actually it's rotating extremely slowly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Some people work a bit faster, but, you know, it depends. It depends on the comfort level with things, you know, ultimately. I, I, I probably run at a few hundred RPMs basically. Okay. Very, you know. And not fast at all, you know, especially when, especially when you're looking at a wood lathe that's, you know, running 10,000 RPMs or, or 5,000 yeah. RPMs because those things fly. If you put a piece of glass in that, it'd be extremely dangerous. I imagine <laughs> it would just uh, fall apart at that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it got out of center at all and it were molten, it would throw. Oh, yeah. You, you, don't you at that speed, you could very easily throw something that, and it would take it just getting a few millimeters out of center to create enough inertia, basically to throw it way out of line. Now, so, at the 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 uh, speed you're working at, that is that nothing? Do you still have to worry about that, or is it's going slow enough? It doesn't matter at all. It'll it'll throw it out a little bit, but it's it's correctable, maintainable as well. You know, it's a, like you'll be able to see it actually go out. And then you can slow the machine, speed the machine up, whatever you need to do to let it kind of fall back into place. What so, are um, what are the tools that you use made out of? Uh, everything's just a, basically a high density graphite. Okay, is uh, that's one of the main you know things that a lot of the glass tools are made out of. They do make stainless steel. Uh, they call them jacks. They're shaping tools, and then they use some brass and things as well. But the more for the more rugged work, the graphite is kind of what, you know, is used for the most part whenever you're shaping these, you know, the Maria's doing the edging and things like that. It's because I'm actually, you know, I actually have the flame on the tool half the time, you know, and if you were doing that with brass, it would melt immediately. And if you were doing that with uh, the stainless or the steel, it would oxidize it and break it down pretty quickly. So you'd be looking at a, you know, three to $600 tool that was burned up essentially wow that's problem. how much the tools cost i mean some of them do some of the you know the more specialized yeah i don't know yeah. why i'm surprised i i used to work in electronic engineering and yeah. i bought like little tiny pieces of test equipment that would have like maybe 10 cents worth of parts in it <laughs> and it was three thousand dollars <laughs> yeah yeah 
oh yeah definitely it's crazy because it's it is it's just such a niche yeah thing. they're not it's, selling many of them it's expensive to develop and make that like they yeah. need to get their money back to be worthwhile yeah exactly and there's i mean and there are a number of manufacturers now but i mean that's grown over time of course so i think everybody you know it's just kind of the status quo has been met the set standard has been met so now it's just kind of following suit you know it's like you would think over time that tool pricing and things like that would go down but i think it's more of maintaining a level and then only going higher now at this point it's it's interesting because this market has been really interesting you know just kind of funny to watch in, in you know comparison to a lot of others you know it's like as things have become more accessible as there's been more color and a more variance of color made and all this stuff a lot of the pricing has actually gone up instead of going down you know like in any, many other markets you know or industries the price of things would start to go down as yeah. supply you know gained but it hasn't been quite the case <laughs> is has the barrier to entry lowered for glass blowing or is it just a more popular thing to do now i mean i think it's a little bit of both there's far more access to knowledge you know i mean now than ever you know it's like you can watch a youtube video of somebody making a certain thing if you want to learn how to make it and you know artists putting their you know their processes out in the world online you know and it's like back in the day there was barely you know worthwhile anything to watch online much less anything that specific whenever it came to the flame working industry you know there just was not much of it out there so you had to find a person and have them show you you know and there weren't very many of them around the country at that point unless you were up in oregon or you know somewhere on the west coast essentially that was kind of the the mecca and then the east coast was kind of the mecca for the scientific realm so you had art on one side science on the other and not a whole lot of anything in the middle essentially <laughs> is there a, is there a growing trend for people who made uh medical doing heady glassware also because it's like i feel like i've seen a few people who are making beer glasses that also did um uh medical yeah yeah i think so i mean i think it's just I think it's just a new realm for glassblowers to get involved in, yeah. you know, a new, a new canvas essentially to paint on, you know, in a sense, it's like, you can still do all that same technique and apply all this different stuff to a cup as you can to a pipe, you know? So I think it's really become just a new way of, you know, new avenue of putting work into, into something, you know, and making well, is it different apparatus. But like, there's a whole realm of like the glass blowing for like test equipment and like science, like scientific things, right? Yeah. Like that's what I yeah. was th thinking. I gotcha. Yeah. So I think that it's definitely very similar, you know, in the sense because a lot of the guys who are doing the scientific, you know, or the medical equipment and things like that, they're lathe workers. Okay. You know, that's how they learn, and that's how because everything's you know those very need to be precise different. to exactly so they've already got the equipment they've already got the knowledge of how to work clear glass so it just kind of goes 
literally hand in hand, you know, it's like probably much more free form for them. So they're probably all about it. (laughs) Tolerances are way smaller. (laughs) I mean, way, way wider, (laughs) way bigger. Yeah. You don't have merely the concern of a millimeter or, you know, a one hundredth of an ounce, you know, and it's, it's pretty like, Oh, it's a, it's wide open. <laughs> I can make something that's one whole ounce different than the last. That's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's been, you know, that's a big part of it because uh, they've already have the, the equipment, the equipment knowledge, the use of the equipment and all those things kind of go hand right hand in hand with it ultimately. So that I think is kind of a natural, you know, emergence in that, you know, from one industry to the other. Have um, lathes become more readily available or cheaper, or is it just more people are getting them now? They've become far more available. You know, there's there are actually companies in the last ten years or so. They've become you know there four or five at least new companies producing new lathes have emerged, and you know back when I purchased my machines. They're all old. The newest lathe that I own was built in the 70s. Oh, so they have so, some longevity behind them. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, you know, old machinery was made with real steel and no alloys, yeah. things like that. These things are made to, you know, they're they're tanks, you know, yeah, literally. They're made to just turn forever. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the new stuff is, is very nice, but it's a lot of it's made with metal alloys and things like that. So it's not going to have quite the life that the old machinery has, but. You know, it's just having access to it now because there was very limited access. If you okay. to, you know, hard to find the old machines, you had to search to find one. So, and when you did find one, it was ridiculously expensive, of course. So that's that. I think has been a big game changer too. You know, whenever it comes down to it, because more people now are learning. That's how they learn. Like I say, they learn on a lathe instead of learning how to do handwork first. They learn how to do lathe work first which is, you know, it's easier because you've got a machine turning the material for you, you know? So it's, it's crazy because it's changed kind of the whole direction of, of this type of a boro, this type of glass, you know, because there's more new people in the pipe realm and more new people in the cup realm, all that in every realm of this type yeah. of glass production, it's, essentially. I, I was, I was going to ask you which way you prefer making, but I'm also betting that using a lathe is way easier on your body than handwork yeah it is and i used to do a lot of my like the color making the color tubing and all that stuff i used to do all that by hand you know every day i would start out by making a you know a couple pound chunk of colored tubing to then make a piece out of you know and it's like by the time you get done making just a piece of tubing you know you're a couple pounds in the hands after you know half an hour it feels like 50 pounds in the hands you know it's it, it really it gets exponential over the course of time. So having the ability to let a machine do carry the, you know, the heavy weight for you essentially makes it just far, you know, far easier, but I don't know. I've heard there were a lot of, um, health problems that can happen with when you're the other type of glass blowing. Are there, is there anything like that with the borsellic glass or does it not, are, are the fumes and things not is something you have to worry about as much? No, I mean, there, you know, there are significant issues that come from it, especially from, you know, not keeping a clean environment, you know, whenever you have just like with soft glass or furnace glass, broken up silica or broken up glass, you know, on a 
tiny dust, you know, or at atomic level even, it floats in the air and you can inhale it. And that creates silicosis of the lungs. You know, okay. it's a actual hardening of the lungs because you get glass deposited in your lungs. Oh, geez. And, That's yeah, probably not really, comfortable. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, from what I understand, it's pretty, it's pretty treacherous. I mean, it really is. It's not a good thing. But, you know, we use ventilation, um, a lot of ventilation and just a lot of air movement is kind of key. And from okay. what I've experienced, just to keep the fresh air coming in and the bad air going out, you know, and you're burning a torch. So it's kind of like, you know, if you burned a fireplace in your home, you want to evacuate that air. Yeah. You know, otherwise, it's going to eat up all the oxygen in the room, essentially. You know, you're going to get uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, something along those lines. So it's really important just to be ventilating your area. You know, I, I have a very localized hoods over my studio has a number of torches in it or spaces for torches. And I have hoods over every area. Okay. I think, I think so you're just sucking important. out everything directly above, like yep. kind of like how you would with woodworking with like yep. pulling the sawdust out as you're working on it to. Yep. Exactly. Okay. It's kind of like a, you literally just have a, like a, a chemical hood, like in a, a, a laboratory or something like that. Like a, you literally put a chemical hood over okay. the area where you're working. So it cleans that air. Because you just don't, you know, you don't know if things are floating. You don't know if you're just going to be breathing heavy carbon monoxide. And, and, you know, I mean, whatever else, whenever you burn the glass, especially colored glass, it's all made with chemicals. So you really never know what you're exposing yourself to. I mean, we have a, a base idea of the chemical formulation of a lot of the colors and things like that. But you never know what happens after combustion with this stuff, essentially. I am. Um... One of the, uh, from watching a video, I thought it was really cool. I didn't realize like the tool that would be used for the ball section of a, of a <laughs> glass or the globe where you're basically using something that just has a hole in it. And so <laughs> yeah. and is that right? Like, and are you, you're blowing at the same time as you're kind of massaging yeah. the, a yeah. device with a hole in it around the form, the, the, yeah, exactly. the globe. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, similar to like in a, making a marble, you know, a rounded, like an orb or something, a solid piece they use. And it's just a rounded kind of a cup that you literally drop it, the, the hot glass in and roll it around, you know, so it takes that form. And a lot of people, I mean, with the Boro, it doesn't it doesn't really mold very well because it works at such a high temperature and it cools abruptly. So it's it's not very friendly to mold forming whenever it comes down to it. You okay. end up even if you do use a mold form, you end up still having to go back and remelt it to smooth it out and clean it up. So as little bit of molding as you can possibly do, the better, you know. I mean ultimately. I had watched the video where someone pointed out how expensive um a torch was. What <laughs> what like what's the differentiator in the difference of how the torches work like what makes one better and more expensive than the other than other ones uh, pretty i'd say well i mean size of course because some are going to be able to be heat a larger mass of material okay you know some are going to be smaller so they'll only heat so much but then you have some that are uh they produce a different type of flame chemistry essentially because they can introduce more or less oxygen some are just two valves on off you know you have gas and you have oxygen so you've got two valves others you have three valves you know so you can introduce oxygen 
then you can change the flame chemistry by adding air or oxygen to the flame as well. So it really, it's, that's whenever you start seeing the, the price differentiation, I okay. guess, is probably heavily based off of those two key factors being scale, size, or flame chemistry that it, the torch or the tool actually produces. And is because that just uh, like how hot the flame can get or is the... I mean, it is, it's hot and it also kind of the cleanliness, you know, it's, it's okay. thoroughly combusted um, okay. versus a little less, which you might get impurities coming from if you're burning propane, things like that. You know, you can, you produce carbon, you produce a few other kind of byproducts. So the cleaner the torch burns, the less of that you produce. Okay. You know, and you can use different types of, you know, I use natural gas. Most people run on propane. Natural gas is far cleaner than propane. And that's why kind of it's cooler, you know, a little bit cooler than propane, but it's far cleaner. So it's in my eyes, it's a it's a, just a trade off. And I'd rather have a cleaner burning torch than a hotter burning torch if I can still achieve the same. Is that um, the like the cleanliness of that? Is that from like an environmental what you're breathing in standpoint? Or does it also affect the clarity of the glass? A little bit of both. Okay. Really a little bit of both because those deposits and that those impurities, if they're in the flame, they're going to spit straight onto the piece that you're working on, you know, in the course of time that you're working on it. So they can translate into the glass where you'll get pitting and some almost fog looking effects, things that you're, you know, you're really trying not to get, but you know, it can happen just because of the, the torch or the way that the torch is burning. So when people are looking at this type of glassware, how can they tell um, a high quality one as opposed to a lesser quality one? Like um, what types I mean, of things w w should you look at to make that determination? I would think, I mean, clarity, of course, you know, holding that thing up to the light and kind of looking through it, that's going to be a big part of it. But then also textures. If you're seeing lines on the glass from where it's been paddled or manipulated, that's that's kind of, it's not an imperfection and it's, it's a part of being handmade, but yeah. it's also something that most of us strive to you know, you eliminate that. It's going to be there at one point or another, but yeah. then you go and try and melt it down to smooth that out and get rid of it. But clarity, texture, you know, and then just evenness, I guess, ultimately, if you can, if you can look at a piece and see kind of waves within the wall, you know, if you're literally looking at a cup and you can see a massive wave in the wall or something like that. You know, it's a thick spot or a thin spot. You okay. know, it's just, it kind of, it should look nice and smooth and fluid whenever you're, you know, looking through it, essentially. That's the biggest, one of the bigger parts of it, I think, too. And that's really what, you know, comes from the actual craftsman. So you can see what they're doing in the process. Does the thickness in the... um or like the the heft of the glass indicate anything or is that just a preference of the glass maker of how thick or thin they make them i mean a little bit you know unfortunately it's like you can you can attribute everything to it but if it's made with like import or you know like not to not to sound negative or you know anything about it, like chinese material in particular 
it's of a lesser quality um, because the standard of production is different than what you find in Czechoslovakia. Um, and that's where some of the finest glass in the world comes from. Okay. And, you know, so it's like you can, if even if both weigh a pound or two pounds, you know, like the guy with that's made with the subpar material is still going to be of a subpar level because what you put in is kind of what you get out essentially, you know, and some of the subpar material is just more brittle. It's not as, it's just not as strong ultimately. The, and it is the chemical but, makeup of the glass itself is, is not as uh, robust as what yeah. you would want to use. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you're just, you're going to have, you know, potential issues with it having, you know, its own stress kind of built in to that kind of makes it essentially a weaker material or a weaker finished piece in the end. So, you know, and typically the lower end materials, you will be able to look through it and you'll be able to see a lot of texture through it. You might not feel it. You might not see it just kind of looking at it. But if you like held it up to the light and turned it and looked through it, you'll be able to see a ton of texture like in it. The waviness that you'll see. Is that what you mean? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And that's, you know, I mean, really, it's it's minute things that the average person doesn't look for or even recognize if they're looking right at it, you know. So there are people that, you know, still use the cheaper material just because it's cheaper, you know. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I just, I, I personally feel like what you put into it is what you get, in, get out of it. So I wanted make as high a quality of a product as I can. So I use as high of quality material as I possibly can. Well, I mean, it, they, then that's how you've gained the reputation that you have. <laughs> Is it yeah. People... I mean, I think that's, it's been part of it. I mean, I try to, you know, every piece that we produce, we try and, you know, we want it to be as high of quality as possible. And if it's not, you know, we get rid of it. We, we'd rather throw it away than put it out into the world. You know I mean? And everybody makes, second quality something sometimes you know there's it's inevitable yeah, yeah you, you know, know off day or yeah there's yeah. a million reasons why it could happen absolutely and it's like i mean a lot of people pass that as okay you know i mean like still... a lot of these podcasts are average at best and then every once in a while i make one that's complete garbage <laughs> <laughs> i know the feeling i'm telling you i you know i mean some days it's just tip top and other days it's might as well have not not even yeah. done it it's gone back it's just gone straight back to bed <laughs> yeah. yeah no kidding no it's i mean it really is it's it's just a big you know i think it's the mentality of the person behind it you know and it's like i look at it you know every piece has got my name on it or our name on it you know so it represents us out in the world so we want to make it as nice as humanly possible every time we put something out there so is the distinction like so huffy is you <laughs> right and then volta glass studio is that's my the, studio. The studio and any anyone that's working there is under that name. Yeah, well, I mean, and Tyler who works with, I mean, he's Puppy Glass as well. Okay. You know, it's like we we're we're we each touch every piece, you know. And yeah. that's you know, and it used to be I mean, it wasn't that same way. I I still touched almost every piece that five other people made whenever there were multiple people here, you know, because I'd be the one that was doing quality control just checking for flaw and, and altering things if they needed to be altered or cleaned up. So, you know, it's kind of just an all encompassing thing. People back in the day, whenever I was making work as an individual for, sorry about that, oh, for okay. shops and things like that, they just started calling it Huffy Glass. And I didn't, I didn't 
name it myself. You know, it was just kind of the name was kind of given, and I just okay. kind of started to roll with it. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, that was going to be my next question: Where did it come from? But that's good. <laughs> yeah, just my last name, and that's where it stemmed from originally. And like I said, I just kind of other people were calling it that, so I just kind of was like, okay, well, it's already getting <laughs> known as that. I might as well ride with it. Lean in. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And don't put any work into trying to figure something else out. It's, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a lot easier. A it's been figured out for me. Yeah. I, mean, why would I, want to do that? <laughs> I don't want any input. <laughs> so how, how many hours or how, how long does going into making like your average beer glass that you make? Um, probably about two and a half hours in the end, I, I spend a little bit of time, you know, I, I'm kind of slow in the sense, like I take my time whenever mm. I'm making stuff. A lot of people bang them out. I mean, you know, I've seen some of the other guys, you know, that are doing these, they, they pump out a cup within an hour, you know, bang them out. And, it, and it's due to the fact that, I mean, I think I use, I try to use large scale material um, because then I can melt it all down and then come back and reform it. So I don't just take a piece of tubing and shape right from the tubing directly. You know, like I take a big segment of that tubing and kind of melt it down and then go in and form it. So I can work out any impurities okay. or, any, you know, see any flaws that are in the glass essentially, as opposed to just taking a piece of tube and squishing Maria's and blowing it out a little bit, cutting it off. You know, that's, I don't know. I'm just particular in the sense, like if it's got a flaw in it, I cut it out. You know, I, I'll, take the whole chunk of tubing and throw it away and then i'll start with a new which one. what's a maria which part of the glass like does this glass have a maria the sharp guys okay so the like bands yeah. like the bands yeah. on one or okay yeah that's what they term as a maria and a lot of you know i mean you see the rounded edged ones yeah. and the squared edged and slant angled and it you know there's a million different things you can do with it kind of but you know, those are the predominant forms that it's taken essentially in this, you know, application, I say at this point. So is this kind of like the um, sharp edged blade, Maria? Is that kind of your signature style? Yeah, I mean, that's what I, whenever I started doing cups and, you know, even the barware a little while back, I started using that in and in pipeware even. And then the tooling, like the little lines and things like that. I made a tool to do that back with back with production pipes i've been doing like the little tool lines on pipes for 10 years so it's really crazy to see how it's expanded across the industry you know like so quickly you know it's like you've got people who do it and then people who don't and it seems like at this point a lot more people are doing it than not you okay. know, kind of. because even whenever i first started doing it there was another pipe maker in california who was doing that type of work essentially boom um he's a great guy and it, it inspired me you know he was doing it a bit differently than what i do it you know and that was kind of the point i don't want to do exactly what this guy over here is doing so yeah. you know but to use the technique and apply it in another way that was a big thing and then the sharpen maria's i'd seen that in the pipe world and i'd been using it in the pipe world but there's a mike philpot he's a fellow who's been blowing glass for 30 years or thereabouts 25 years and he was doing that in pipes but when it came to cups whenever i started doing more and more barware cups it's like nobody's applying this in the cup realm so it should be applied because it's you know it looks cool 
yeah, it, it's a cool thing, and it's a it's a nice attribute, you know. I mean, it's just and a differentiating attribute because it's, you know, we don't all want to make the same thing, <laughs> you know. It's like especially to differentiate, I guess. What um what percentage of your business is cups versus pipes now? Has it shifted more toward like doing more cups than pipes, or are you still doing a yeah. lot of pipes? I mean, it's definitely shifted more into cups in the last year. Um, at first, it was kind of, you know, running tandem, you know, 50-50 for a little bit. But then it's just, it's blown up into cups. I never thought it would, you know, evolve into this by any means. I had no idea that it could. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't think there was a market that could sustain it, you know, so. Well, I mean, if there's one thing that um, us craft beer drinkers and fans have proven is that maybe we aren't the best with money <laughs> we, we don't always maybe make the best financial decisions on what to spend <laughs> money on <laughs> well you know well, I mean, I, coupled with an appreciation of quality yeah i think that's what i think that's what really you know is the biggest most thing likely that, that is but it's a lot you know. It's, it's not nearly as funny to <laughs> put it that way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, but you know, it's, if you're, you're, you know, I mean, you think about most average people are like, you, you would spend more than you'd spend $20 on a four pack of beer. You know, yeah. I mean, that blows their mind. You know, it's like, I can get three cases of Budweiser for that yeah. or whatever it may be. You know, I don't, I don't even know, but uh, yeah, it, I think that goes hand in hand with the appreciation of the craft. Yeah. You know, this is just another craft, you know, I mean, people call it art, people call it whatever. And it's like, I look at it as a craft, you know, my, my father was a craftsman. He was, a, you know, he was a woodworker and whatnot. And, you know, I mean, it's like the art, the arts, the abstract trash in the bucket, you know, on the ground, you know, that's, that's the art. <laughs> yeah. This we go into with the intent of making something with a function to it and a form to it. You know, there's, you know, there's creativity of course involved in it but yet it's it's definitely a little less organic i think than like throwing paint at a canvas things like that you know so that's what i call it a craft you know so i think it kind of goes hand in hand with the beer craft well i mean i often i mean i consider craft beer to be art when you when you combined what just the the passion and creativity put into the liquid itself to the thoughtfulness put into labeling and naming and yeah like it so it, and this is just another complimentary aspect of it yeah yeah it really is i mean it's i can see it both ways you know i definitely it's far more than just uh you know it's far more than making a wicker basket yeah <laughs> you know i mean uh, that's a, that's its own craft or art I, I suppose you know but anything that people put you know the effort the time the thought you know and the care you know i think that is a, you know it is a form of art in its own right by all means is it fair to say that in the beer world um you're best known for uh your work with 450 north yeah, I think so. I mean, because that's, you know, been the dominant, you know, factor in all of it. You know, that, that was really, those guys were the catalyst for me to even push into cups, you know, in the sense of a serious thing. You know, I didn't really anticipate it at all. It was just kind of a, like, this, when I initially, you know, it was a, 
little over, you know, it was about a year and a half ago, not quite a year and a half, but right around there, whenever I, you know, they were, they'd been making slushies for a year plus already at that point, which I'd never seen, you know, I'd never seen a fruited, you know, vice at that point. I yeah. had no idea three years ago, no clue what it even was besides what they were making. And then, you know, after seeing the popularity of that grow a little bit, and that's when I was like, well, it's a slushy, you know, slushy cut. They should have something to represent this thing. And so, you know, making a couple of them and taking it over there. And they were, yeah, at first, I think a little bit reluctant because no, you know, nobody was selling high-end cups at that point. No breweries were even touching on it at that point. They had, I don't, I don't know if it was just not even on their radar, you know, essentially. Well, or it definitely, like, it wasn't a trend yet. No, I, I mean, it, it, and I would. I mean, they're definitely the first place I was ever introduced and saw that type of glassware. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, I don't know, and it's because they're close to me, and I had been, like I say, you know, a fan of the beer and all that, you know, already. But it just kind of lent itself to a, a, a product, you know, in some sense of the word. I, and that was really all it took. You know, I was just like, let's at least try it, and I got over there. And at first, like I said, they were reluctant, but then after a little bit of time, I think they warmed up to the notion of it and were like, let's at least try it, you know? And then after trying it, they were like, okay, let's go. You know, I mean, there was no, no hesitation after the first, you know, we did a 10 pack of cups for them and they couldn't, they were like, they sold out in like a minute, you know, we can't even believe that. So then it just kept on growing and growing and growing. When the, the last, this last drop of them went really quickly too, didn't it? Like it yeah, was it, almost instant. <laughs> it was fast. I couldn't believe it. I was, you know, I mean, and those were some of the higher dollar, you know, pieces because of all the worked pieces that they had. You know, they, you know, those were some of the higher dollar pieces that they've actually sold versus giving away. You know, I mean, some of the pieces that they've given away are worth, you know, if it was a pipe, it would be three thousand to five thousand dollars. <laughs> like that, is, for instance, you know, I mean, that's a it's a three hundred and fifty dollar cut, but if it were functional pipe, it would probably be twice that yeah so uh, um, i put up a photo of one of the slushy cups that they sold during the latest release so is this is this fumed yeah okay yeah that's uh silver and gold uh, overlay and then heavily carved that's the frosted section in the middle it looks just sandblasted but it's actually we we carve things to give depth oh Um, okay you can actually feel the texture of the of the piece you know or of of all the details on the piece you know a lot of people just kind of dust it and it looks cool but it doesn't you know i think this provides the visual and then it also has a physical attribute to it that you whenever you actually pick it up you feel that carving you feel the texture of the glass and the edges of all those little images okay so So all the areas on yours that look like they're a typical sandblasting that's all carved work yeah okay it it just takes you know it's more time a little bit of you know equipment and manipulation things like that in order to achieve it and then you refire things it's a you know it just it changes the process of sandblasting into a, a just a lot more of an actual process i guess essentially you have um the slush cups have gone through a couple iterations correct yeah okay yeah I've recently started doing more of the beveled lip on them just to, as you can see on the, that Rasta yeah. guy got a bit of an edge. So it's far more friendly to sip out of it. So than... that, was, that was my next question. Like this doesn't look like something you could actually drink out of. 
do you have to use yeah. the straw with it? No. That okay, no. So you can that still one, drink. That one's got a short bevel on it. It's okay. just much tighter to the edge. So it still has a just a hair of a lip. Like that's okay. just a bit more exaggerated of a version of it. Gotcha. The old ones had no lip whatsoever. It was just rounded, you know, it just came up to the top and it had a nice just a basically a thin lip on it, which you could still drink out of, but I was thinking of, you know, trying to think of ways to make it far more you know, just conducive to actually yeah. sipping right off of the cup as opposed to having to use a straw for it. Yeah. Cause I was, I was wondering that. Cause I, like I always say they, do they always come with straws? Yeah. Okay. So I was wondering like, do they have to ha- be drank using the straw? <laughs> Cause I like definitely some of the earlier ones I looked at, I was like that doesn't look like something you'd be able to easily drink out of, but like yeah. that one where that has the razor edges and that larger lip, like that looks like you could definitely easily yeah. drink off of that one. Yeah, definitely. And it's, I mean, it's still, like I say, it's almost, but to the eye, I think it's a little deceiving. Yeah. They're all, you know, functional in all senses. It's just, it's a little easier when you have that nice, clean, defined lip to it, I think, you know. And it kind of depends on the person too, depending on how they like the lip to feel, you know, on their mouth, you know, I mean, some people like a, like a mug lip almost, you know, a thicker lip for a beer glass versus kind of a wine glass feel to the edge why well, like this one i love where it like it it almost like uh, i'm never gonna there we go it like it almost like wraps around your lip and just delivers yeah. the beer right into your mouth <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely i feel like doing that little just the slightest bit of a bevel to the edge of those things really changes the you know it changes the feel on the mouth whenever you're yeah. sipping out of it you know, and that's, I've done glasses both just with a soft round lip as well. You know, I mean, that was predominant before all this, you know, but it also lends itself with the forming and the tooling and the shaping that I'm doing. So it kind of, to go from tip to toe and tool it and work it from end of, to end to end, basically. So do those slush cups take longer to make than other styles or is it along the same lines as your other glasses? Like that two hour time frame? they take a bit longer because they're they're large you know most of those are you know 20 plus ounces they're they're big you know and i'm trying to i think making things um trying to make everything same size same form same all that it just ends up taking longer you know ultimately because you're doing a lot more measuring a lot more time just sitting there trying to get things right in which there's always variation in the end you know to a degree but i give you know i try to give myself within i try to basically keep it at within an eighth of an inch or th- about three millimeters in any direction so why do people like them so large i feel like i'm one of the only people that like these glass like these glasses to be smaller yeah i know i know i don't i'm not sure what it i think it's more the significance whenever you're okay. holding it you know i mean you feel regal yeah there's just it's substantial when you pick it up you know or you could kill a man with this or you could could take him down a full grown man with with a shot with the thing i mean some of the cups that i've made are you know one and a half to two pounds you know i mean they're literally just out they're they're beastly you know i mean that's like the rasta cups were in the one to one and a half pound range piece you know, it's just it, because you pick it up and you feel, you know, it's like you're holding a stein, you know, an yeah. old, and that's kind of the way I'm like, I'm trying to shoot for even the more basic stuff to be more along the lines of like crystal, you know, I mean, 
as close to that as I can get. And, you know, with Crystal, when you pick it up, you feel the weight of that piece, yeah. you know, and that, that in itself really just, you know, it's something to it. Then you have weirdos like me that want 16 ounce stuff from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and a lot of people do, they want right at, and you know, I'm, I'm fine with it, but I'm like, most people don't pour a beer in the way that a 16 ounce glass is actually going to yeah. hold, you know, most people just pour a beer and it's like, if you pour a beer in that way, or, you know, if you're trying to dump sediment, stuff like that, you're, you're a little rougher, you know, sometimes. And then like, you need an 18 ouncer for that because you're going to get this at least a few ounces of head, you know, kind of yeah. deal. So I, um, I mean, I recognize that I'm ridiculous and that <laughs> like I very, <laughs> that I, I have very specific ways I want to photograph things. So I like the glass to not take up the whole can, even though it's completely impractical for like actually drinking a can of beer, because then you always have that more, to recreate head if you need to yeah. no that totally makes sense <laughs> yeah. so like I mean, basically i'm just thinking i'm looking at it from a completely impractical way that no one else cares about <laughs> yeah. well i mean but now man i mean taking pictures of your beer in your cup or it's a thing i mean yeah. it's huge you know it's huge and so i think there's there's total validity in that you know and i just i still look at it in the sense i'm like well a, bo- a beer you know, a can of beer is meant to be poured all at one time, you know, in one instance, because that's when you're going to get the truest flavor of yeah. what, you know, comes out of the, you know, out of the system, ultimately, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's why I overshoot with most things, because I'm like, then you get a full pour and it's, you get sediment, you get everything that, and then you get the true intended flavor of the beer kind of deal. But, but it's like, it's everyone though. Like just everyone makes like 20 ounce glasses. Yeah. Like that's well, and just think, too big. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I think too, in the sense of, uh, I guess to make, you know, because there's no molds, there's no forms and it's like, you'll, I mean, people are hell are making 24, 25, 28, you know, I mean, huge glasses, you know, it's like, there's, there's no way of measuring specific volume whenever you're making a cup. Yeah. So you almost have to make one, do measurements, find its volume, then try and recreate that or add a little to it, take a little away, you know, and it's all a matter of refining and refining and refining until you're able to hit specific volumes because you've got, you're basing it off of external measurements, yeah. essentially, as opposed to any kind of way of measuring it in any other manner. That's and. I'm hoping to come up with, I've been trying to figure out a way of measuring specific volume whenever, you know, making apparatus for a while. And I've got a few ideas, but I've just not been able to make any of them come to fruition. So do you just stop every once in a while and take measurements of the ex- the exterior of it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, constantly throughout the process. And then once, you know, you get it dialed in and you have a spec, then you just start making things to that spec over and over and you know keep that spec aside as your diagram essentially for the next time that you make that same piece or something similar to it okay i saw um a couple glasses that you've posted photos of where there's a hole going all the way through like a tunnel how the heck do you do that it's uh i mean it's just kind of a it's a process of you essentially make a cup and then you seal you're sealing a length of tubing through it 
So it's kind of like some scientific apparatus are kind of built in that same manner. It's a triple blind seal is what the seal is technically called, but it's a way of sealing, you know, glass in multiple different spots simultaneously. So and it's it's all about aesthetics, you know. I mean, that's yeah. really. So know, is it like two separate pieces that you then fuse together, or is it started yeah. all as one to? No, you'd have your cup. Some, you know, you could do a donut sometimes where you would suck in the glass and suck in the glass from the bottom and connect the two, and then open them up in the middle so you'd have a hole through it. Uh-huh. But it's such a long passageway that I'm actually making a glass, you know, and, and then, then I open it up and I put a piece of tubing through it, literally. Oh, okay. And then seal it, you know, on the sides, which is far more of a pain in the ass than what most people would think just by hearing that lame ass explanation of what it is. <laughs> well, in I mean, my it, mind, it sounds impossible. <laughs> because I, I the visual of it really, you know, is the best part, you know, but it's, you know, it, well, yeah, it's I mean, especially problem. like from seeing the photos, like there, like there's no indication that that was two separate pieces that were fused together. It just looks yeah. completely seamless. Absolutely. I mean, it's really, and that's part of the, you know, the beauty of it. <laughs> that's part of the magic because yeah. whenever you see it, you don't automatically assume that it's a multiple piece object unless you're, you know, unless you know what you're looking at to yeah. a degree. Again, it's like most people don't, of course, understand because it's its own process, but you have to be a little educated on that type of stuff to understand exactly what you're looking at. I think I've asked everything I wanted to find out. I know a second we're done, there's going to be something I forgot. Um, so how do people get um, something made by Huffy? Um, so you can, I mean, Instagram's been a huge platform, you know, for me, and it's easy for me to maintain, even though I'm swamped with messages constantly. I try to, you know, I try to respond to everybody in due time. Sometimes the app doesn't like me, starts deleting things on its own. You know, I mean, I've, I've had the issues in the past and I, you know, I try to at least maintain it and you can always call the store. I have a studio, Volta Glass Studio. You can always call here and talk. You can go on the website, VoltaGlassStudio.com. You can connect with us directly through there. Um, Volta Glass Studio on Instagram. Puffy Glass, Volta Glass on Facebook. So we've, we're on multiple platforms, and then we have the direct contact with the website and whatnot. So there are a few different ways that people can get in touch. Oh, this is the one I saw that I loved, the Death Star one, where it had the, the pass-through, and then you did the carving around it to look like yeah. the Death Star. That was a yeah. pretty amazing one. <laughs> yeah, both, both of our, mine and Tyler, both finest work. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the level of experimentation at that point, that was one of the earlier pass-through cups that I had even made, and then that was just a high level of you know carving, stenciling, and work on Tyler's end, you know, for it to all come together. I mean, that thing oh. took days for a clear cup. It literally again took days. I hadn't seen this one. The Mega Man one's amazing too. Like that whole <laughs> yeah. series of them. Those are so cool. Yeah, I, yeah I, we, I mean, we people... did a dragon. I think yeah that, got... that was in the same series of photos also amazing i uh like any, anyone listening you need to go to his instagram page just to see the different amazing things he's created and that's really i mean like logan had mentioned you know we we keep 
a lot of stuff here that never sees the light of day ultimately also goes directly to a collector or an individual you know that's we just constantly are making fresh work and putting it out there but you know and that's why i'm not part of the you know the thick boys conglomerate kind of deal because we've maintained a you know a pretty high level of production and we're just busy constantly yeah, you don't have the bandwidth yeah it's just you know and it's it's a good thing that they're doing, you know, exposing people to the material, to the glass and, you know, what it is like, it's, it's, it's a good thing. And it just, it helps people, any artist, I think, because people are going to start looking for it then, you know, and artists like me will, of course, you know, benefit from that ultimately if I'm found. So you don't do any of the like Instagram, uh, auctions or anything. People should just reach out to you directly and to find out what's available and what. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. it's, I mean, I just, you know, I I try to maintain things as they are. I don't have the time to go yeah. into a whole new realm of auctioning and waffles and all that <laughs> stuff. Which, you know, maybe in time, we'll hire somebody to do that, <laughs> basically. But it's like, you know, I mean, most of our time is spent in producing the glasses. That's what we want to do versus, you know, showing them off. You know, we're, we're yeah. about making, you know. That's that's been the biggest you know, hurdle of it all. I think is kind of trying to acclimate to the to the technological world. You know, put the work <laughs> out there. Got to put the work out there in order for it to be you know seen. But got to make it too. So, <laughs> do you have any projects coming up you're excited about that you can talk about? Um, yeah, I mean, nothing specific, but working with a few different breweries. Um, you know. Some of them well-known that I've worked with before, and some of them and not as much. But we've got a few different things coming up in the near future that we're actually currently working on now, hopefully meeting some deadlines. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's exciting. It's really, you know, working with 450 and, you know, working with RAR, working with Wiley, you know, and just, I just feel like we've just really, it's the tip of the iceberg, you know, ultimately, and, you know, really stepping into the whole thing and, trying to work with more people you know that's that's kind of the goal is um is huffy nuggets the first beer you've done with a brewery yeah 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 nice. absolutely absolutely they let me pick up the hot profile the hot profile and you know they did the rest of the work so <laughs> but it's you know i know what i like in terms of flavors and whatnot and you know it's like is a beautiful thing just because I, I love their style, you know, their style of IPA, you know, or the nugget particularly. So for them to, you know, take a little bit of, I just, I love Citra. I love Mosaic. And I was the brew one. I had tried it in, you know, a couple other beers prior. I was like, I, you know, I like that a bit. So we can kind of put it in, in this manner or whatever. And they managed to put it all together pretty well. Are, um, is 450 North your go-to brewery? for drinking beer yeah pretty much i mean it's there's a few local spots here in bloomington um the sinkhole is a great little bar um it's it's a they carry craft from all around the country um and then there's you know we have upland which used to be more on the scale of a craft beer you know kind of thing whenever i first moved here that was 20 years ago and now they're pretty they're pretty large scale so yeah it's they've grown quite a bit but that used to be kind of the good i could walk to upland every you know whenever i wanted they were three blocks from my house so that's what really got me into like back then small batch craft type beers you know back when they were 
one single spot with a much smaller, you know, system and all that. They they really did things a lot. Yeah, they're different. pretty huge now, right? Yeah, they've yeah. they've grown tremendously. Um, I I don't know. I don't even know to the scale, you know, of which they're out there at this point. But it's tenfold what it was when I first discovered them. I know that, and I think that they've, you know, I mean they've they've adjusted. You know, they've, they've changed the way that they do thing, things. So it's like, I think they're, I don't know if they'd still, I think they've surpassed the the qualifications to be considered a craft, you know, yeah. anymore. I think that there's, you know, they've surpassed the limits of production and things like that by far. Well, they keep but, moving that to accommodate Sam Adams. So by the <laughs> Brewers Association definition, they probably still are. By consumer yeah. definition, they may not be. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, if Sam Adams is still craft, then I think Evelyn's got no problem yeah. qualifying by any means. <laughs> yeah, man. And uh, thank you for everything. Uh, thank, thank you, you so much for your time. I could talk about glassware forever. I'm hoping that uh, my listeners also can listen to people talk about glassware forever. Uh, <laughs> Thank Sorry. you so much for the Huffy Nuggets. This beer was delicious. I loved it. Um, and I definitely need to stop by the studio the next time I'm able to make it out there because I want to see all the beautiful things you create. Yeah, come through, especially, yeah, if you're if you're making your way through this area, come through and we'll yeah, roll out the carpet for you. <laughs> so absolutely thank you. And uh, thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Cheers, folks. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate you, man. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.